Hello, everybody. Welcome back to our podcast, Exploring Entanglements. Today is our fifth and final episode, so we'll just be wrapping some things up. Um, Today, we're going to be talking about the power of groups and sexual geographies. Um, So I wanted to highlight a specific um, story from the book. Um, It's in, I think it's chapter nine. Um, It's called The Power of the Group. Um, And it starts off with this girl. Her name is Jillian. Um, And she is hanging out, um, I think, at an apartment party or something like that, um, hanging out with a bunch of friends and a new person that she met whose name is Bobby. Um, Jillian got to talking with Bobby and after some time realized that she was so engrossed in this conversation, she didn't realize that her friends and everyone else had left the apartment, which left her and Bobby alone in the apartment. Um, And it just so happens that Bobby's apartment was the next door down. So already creating a little bit of a, like a, an issue of sexual geographies um, just because they were alone and Bobby's apartment was right there. There's kind of that, that pressure of um, needing or not needing, but like that pressure of a sexual thing might happen. Um, and in the book, they explicitly say her friends intentionally or not had set up a, a sexual situation um, that they were in. And Jillian had felt that this, like situation had been sprung upon her um, and like that she wasn't really like planning on doing this or whatever, but her friends kind of like made that choice for her. um, And it shows that this sexual situation is really um, a social, well, social situation. Her peers were like making an effort to produce a sexual experience for one another. Um, And I feel like that is a really common thing that happens where Um, people kind of already like your friends will already decide for you like oh you guys are you guys are chatting it up you're vibing whatever so they kind of like will leave you two alone and things like that and then it kind of produces this like a little bit of a pressure um, that you might feel if you're in that situation Um, yeah I think this happens so often actually because especially in college, because it's like you meet somebody and you're like, hey, do you have a friend for my friend? And like, uh, oftentimes, it's, it's not something like, you know, it's something you just like kind of ask, but you don't really ask like your friend if she wants, like the guy that you're talking to to like bring a friend for her. Sometimes it makes um, a person feel safer, I guess you can say. When you're like, hey, yeah, is it okay if I bring my friend? And then it kind of like unintentionally does sort of result in these situations where you're with somebody and, you know, you don't really like want to be with them too too much. And then, you know, things start happening and you kind of feel like, okay, well, my friend's over there doing whatever. So maybe I should just, you know, be in here and just, I guess, try to have fun. But I think this happens so often in college because, you know, there's this like stereotype that college students just want to drink and have sex. And so, you know, I think it's so unfortunate because um, I think it's something that's not really like talked about within like your friend groups. And it can also be a little awkward when you're like, yeah, like, no, I don't want to talk to this guy. and I don't care who you're talking to, but I don't want to I don't want him to bring a friend for me like. You know, sometimes it's kind of seem like as like, oh, you're being like a party pooper. But it is, you know, it's a little uncomfortable to talk about like within like your actual friends. And I think I think this is such a good point because it's something that happens so often, but so little is really said of it.
Yeah, I agree. Like, especially with, oh, like my friend or like this guy I'm talking to as a friend who like wants to talk to you or whatever. And you kind of just like get roped into that situation and, and it's awkward. And like you said, like, you don't want to be a party pooper. So you're not trying to like kind of shut it down. Like you might, if it was just like a stranger, but there's like that kind of like pressure because you see like your friend across the room, maybe like with the other guy and you're like, oh, well they're having fun. So like, I don't want to interrupt them. So you just like keep, keep the conversation going with whoever you got, I guess, stuck with essentially. And it's just, yeah, like, and I don't think in Jillian's case, um, it really led to anything, but she just kind of like felt a discomfort of like, oh, this decision was kind of made for me rather than like, I was telling them, oh, like, leave us alone, leave us alone. Like, it was more like they kind of were just like, oh, no, we see what you're doing and we're going to let you go. We're going to go do our own thing. Um, and it left her in like a kind of uncomfortable situation. Um, and yeah, I think in the book, it says like nothing happened and she didn't like say that anything happened, but it's just like, just that act alone is like a little uncomfortable to kind of have like your friend's kind of put you in this awkward situation and I love that you said like um you know you're kind of just like stuck with somebody because I feel like that's what it feels like I mean I don't know about you but I feel like I have been in this kind of position before where I'm like oh like I'm stuck with this person and I know my friends are trying to you know like do their own thing but like I'm not really feeling this and like you know some people don't have that um how do I say it? comfortability, I guess, to like, you know, basically tell the other person like, yeah, like, you know, I'm just kind of chilling. Like, I don't really want to do nothing. But like, you know, in some situations, it can lead to people feeling like they're forced to kind of like, go with the flow of things. But you know, it makes them like, it's puts them in this uncomfortable situation. So I can definitely see how in in some situations it could potentially lead to like very traumatic experiences. Yeah, speaking of in like certain situations that um like leading to more dramatic and traumatic experiences, um later in that chapter they talk about the story of this girl named Octavia. Um she was a freshman and she was invited to they say in the book, one of the more prestigious frats on campus. Um, And this made her feel like special. And like, she was chosen to go hang out with, you know, like the, I guess the more popular frat. Um, And then once she made it to the party, she was invited upstairs with a few of like the frat brothers. And this made her feel like she was part of like the in group. She like felt like super cool and, you know, like who wouldn't, um, but, you know, she went upstairs and had a couple of drinks with with just, I guess, a couple of the frat brothers. Um, and then after a while, she said it almost felt like like it was on cue. All of them but one left and like so it left her alone with one frat brother. Um, I don't think he was named in the book, but she didn't really want to stay up there. But she felt like it was kind of rude or maybe she wouldn't get invited back if she had declined. So she stayed upstairs just for one more drink, um, she said. And then once everyone else was gone, the other frat brother started kissing her and she said she didn't really mind that. But then he took it way too far and like removed her clothes and unfortunately sexually assaulted her um, in that time. 
Um, but she felt like this was a plan among the brothers to like leave them two alone upstairs. Um, and obviously like this relationship is so different from the story that we had talked about before where it was a bunch of friends, but this was kind of like, she was in an unfamiliar space, um, in somebody else's house. And like, she felt almost like they had planned for this to happen. And she, um, felt pressured by the space as well as the people um, who were in the space. So she felt pressured by all the other brothers who had left to stay up there um, because it was kind of part of this plan. And then also felt pressured by the one that was staying with her. Yeah. I think this is also a situation that happens like often in um, college, especially when it involves, um, you know, things with like popularity or like, you know, these really like popular frats on campus, you know, I, and it's, it's really like easy to understand why you would, you know, in Octavia's case, feel like, you know, you're being, you're being like special. And like, they're taking a priority with you inviting you upstairs and stuff. And so, you know, it's easy to understand why, like, you know, this would happen her, you know, her, um, feeling like, okay, yeah, like I'm in this frat and, you know, they're really cool around campus and I want to be here. And then like, it takes an unfortunate turn when, and it's crazy because I feel like a lot of us have been in situations where it does seem kind of like pre-planned, like, you know, the way that they all left, that's like really creepy, you know? So in Octavia's case, you know, it's kind of like, you're put in an uncomfortable position because it's like you do want to be here but at the same time you did not ask for all of this you know you didn't ask for him to start removing your clothes you know you come to a party to have fun and you know it is so unfortunate when you're put in this space especially like the whole like upstairs type of thing you know you hear it in movies like oh they went upstairs like you know what that means so it's like this whole like being in this upstairs kind of space alone with somebody. It really like it really like puts kind of into perspective like okay, well this is this has the potential to turn into an unfortunate situation like Octavia's. So I do th- definitely think that the space that you're in kind of does contribute to like your feelings into how, you know, things are going to kind of play out because number one, being alone and then being alone upstairs, that's like a huge difference from being downstairs on a couch with like, you know, other people. So, you know, I think when speaking of sexual geographies, it's, it's really important to consider how they can contribute to these, like for this case, such an unfortunate experience for her. Yeah, I I totally agree when you said like that's creepy that they all left like that. Like that if like it feels like very like planned and very intentional and it didn't seem like Octavia was kind of in on that conversation of course um to be like oh, okay, yeah, like I'm cool with you guys leaving. Like it was kind of just like they left and she was left there to you know like navigate that space on her own. And I think that really like brings in the conversation around like informed consent and like knowing what you're signing up for and it seems like in this situation like 
Octavia was not a part of the conversation before she was already upstairs and she wasn't a part of the conversation like moving forward. And I think it's really important to communicate those things with the people that you're with. Like if all the frat brothers had left and it was just the two of them upstairs, if the other guy would have just been like, Oh, like we're, we're alone now. Like, would you like to, you know, engage in some sexual activity or like anything Um, But it seemed like that conversation was just like totally like left out of her hands. And it was kind of something that like the frat brothers decided on without her being there. Um, And I think like the part about um, sexual geographies as well is so like so heavy, like especially in that space, like she was not in a space where she felt really comfortable. I don't I don't know if she'd been there before, but it didn't really seem like it, like let alone being upstairs. And like what you said with like a connotation of upstairs like in movies like that's kind of where you know this stuff kind of tends to happen is like upstairs away from everybody um and I think that she was unfortunately like almost like rendered powerless in this situation because she was in a space that she wasn't familiar with and like she didn't really have a say unfortunately in the situation so I think it's important to like you know keep this like conversation open and like make sure that of course everybody is involved in it that's going to be involved in this potential sexual encounter um but like yeah I I just don't think she was even like in the know in the way that even the other brothers were even though they weren't really involved which isn't fair to her yeah and and it also kind of makes you wonder like did none of like their frat brothers like ask themselves like is this okay like did anybody talk to her does she know like you know what your plans are you know what I mean I I feel like a, a lot of the times we don't like just in any situation but specifically in situations that can potentially lead to sexual assault there needs to be accountability too amongst friends because, you know, I I wonder, you know, what would have happened if just one of them would have said, like, you know, um, did anybody ask her, like, if, you know, this is okay, if she wants to be alone right now? Like, you know what I mean? Because I feel like, yeah, the way that they all just left like that, like, if it was, like, planned, that's scary, especially to have been, like, alone in that situation. So, you know, it really does kind of tie into this, you know, kind of concept of like, what, what if somebody else was there to possibly make make sure that this situation didn't end up in the situation that it did. So I don't know, I just feel like sometimes there's a lack of accountability amongst friends, not not just like with men, but you know, in general, I just feel like, you know, if somebody would have, if one of the fat brothers would have been there and said, okay, yeah, like, you know, this seems kind of weird to you, to you guys, doesn't it? Like, then maybe, you know, it wouldn't have ended up in the way that it did. So I don't know. That's just something that I think about a lot in these situations. Yeah, I totally agree. And that's actually a perfect segue into (laughs) what I wanted to talk about next. So like, I think, that's so important. And like, I'm so glad you brought that up of like, why were none of these other men like considering like, oh, maybe, maybe we 
shouldn't do this or maybe we should check in with her first and make sure that it's okay if we leave and like leave them alone or whatever. Um, That is really the role of somebody who is an active bystander in these types of situations. And even beforehand, so it seems like this was a conversation that they had, that they had before the party was even happening before Octavia was even there. Maybe like they were going to, one of them was planning on bringing a girl up and then the rest of them leaving. Um, And like, why didn't someone say, Oh, like maybe we should check in with her. So before the event even happened, like there was an opportunity for somebody to step in and be like, okay, like, let's, let's think about this. Like how, how would this come off? Like, I feel like so often, like people try and figure out ways to like scheme to like get the girl, like quote unquote, um, and like try and come up with these like elaborate ways to like, you know, like be with a girl or like be with somebody. Um, and like in this, I guess, scheme that they were coming up with, like, why didn't anybody just like stop and think about this other person that they were going to be like subjecting to this like encounter. Um, But I think it's really important to talk about like how we can intervene in situations like this. Or if we hear somebody planning something that seems a little bit sketchy, or if we like see something like going on, like, right in front of us that's a little sketchy like how can we step in and kind of like diffuse the situation and make sure that everybody's okay um so I just wanted to explicitly say like what an active bystander is and that is somebody who says something when they see something and they disrupt an event when they see somebody is being targeted so in the situation with Octavia one of the frat brothers could have said okay like this girl is seemingly like you're targeting her like let's step back and reevaluate um like our approach to this yeah and I think and you know being an active bystander is more helpful than you know in that moment and you know and sometimes it does kind of seem like oh I don't want to be in anybody's business but you know it it's like you can by being an active bystander you're doing so much more for that person than you know For example, in this situation, you know, preventing something like sexual assault from happening, that's something huge. And that's something that, you know, that person will be very thankful for. And so, you know, in in talking about bystander and, you know, how to be an active bystander, um, there is um, these things called five Ds of being an active bystander. So, um, for example, the first one is to just be direct, you know. Um, in like assessing the situation, you know, just confronting it, you know, asking yourself, is it safe for everyone um, to, you know, that's in this situation? So for example, in Octavia's situation, one of the frat brothers could have, you know, just simply asked himself, is this okay? Is this going to be okay for her? You know, like, and so I feel like in that situation, Definitely somebody could have been direct and could have for sure have asked at least themselves like, okay, is this going to be a situation that's safe for everyone, especially Octavia, because this is not an environment that she knows. Going along with um, the rest of the five Ds, the next one is distract. And this one is one of my personal favorites. I think it's like the least confrontational and like, 
just easy ways to do it. So this is just engaging the target. So this would be Octavia, um, like engaging them and ignoring the harasser. So you're distracting the situation to stop it. Um, and another example of this is I'll draw on my own personal experience. There was one time that I was at a frat party and I was just like dancing with my friends and stuff. And then I like looked over and I saw um, this girl and this guy and the guy seemed to be a little too handsy, like a little too, like a little too much for the whole situation. And the girl looked a little bit uncomfortable. So I walked over to her and I was like, oh my God, I love the song. Like, come dance with me and my friends. And then when she was out of that situation, I was like, are you like, are you okay? Is everything okay? And she was like, oh yeah. Like he just came up to me. Like, I don't know. Like, I don't know him. I don't know like who he is or anything about him. And I didn't really want to be in that situation. So I think like she found her friends, like the people that she came with and like the situation was over. So like that's distracting the situation and just like bringing the person out of it. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, that's because, you know, you go on Twitter and you see so many like instances where something like this has happened and has actually prevented a lot. And so, um, one of the third D's is delegate. And so it's asking for help from a third party or seeking support from others to help diffuse the situation. So um, I can kind of draw on a situation myself. Um, it doesn't have to do with sexual assault, but being an active bystander can apply to, um, you know, a lot of different types of situations. Um, but the one time I was actually um, walking back from the gas station, which is like two minutes away from my house. And there was this guy following me. It's like this older white man. He was in the alleyway. He was just, you know, he was just out in the gas pumps and he had no car or anything. So then I, you know, being a woman at night, I smiled at him to make sure he wouldn't like try to murder me or anything. And then he starts following me. So I start like, you know, speed walking and he like starts picking up his pace. And I actually run across the street and what does he do? Runs across the street. So I see one of my neighbors that I don't really know too well, but I have seen a lot. And um, he actually happened to be Hispanic. So I told him in Spanish, like, this guy's following me. Like, can you please help me? So, um, you know, he had his wife walk me back home. And it's crazy because this guy, as soon as I spoke to this, to my neighbor, he turned around so quickly and went right back into the alleyway. That was probably the scariest thing that ever happened to me. But I'm so glad that I asked for help because, you know, I feel like, you know, in situations like that, it's kind of like awkward to like, you know, ask somebody you don't really know for help. But like, just imagine if I would have, you know, if I would have not asked my neighbor for help and he would have just got in his car and went to wherever he was going. Like, you know, I kind of had to like, kind of like not scream at him, but I was just like, you know, can you please help me? Like this guy's following me. And so, you know, his wife ended up walking me home, which was super nice. But, you know, in a situation like this, asking for help, a lot of the times can be super helpful in preventing like such an unfortunate situation. So, you know, um, in this like delegate um, D of the active bystander, you know, don't be afraid to ask for help if you need it, because there's you know, you never know when somebody is in the same situation as you. And, you know, you just have to, like, do whatever is safe for you in that moment. I really appreciate you sharing that. Um, that is, sounds terrifying. So I'm so sorry you had to go through that. But 
I'm so glad that your neighbor was like being an active bystander, like doing everything that he knew how to help, you know, like, I'm so glad that you felt comfortable asking for help in that time too. Um, and that like, he got his wife to walk you home. Like that is so, that is so kind. And I think that's a great example of being an active bystander because I mean, and with these things too, I feel like it's so hard to know, like, when is the right time to ask for help or like, when is the right time to intervene? But I think it's just, you have that gut feeling, you know, and especially like if somebody's following you, that's pretty like obvious that that's very sketchy and that you need help in that situation. But sometimes like it, you don't really know, like when is the right time to like reach out and ask somebody for help or to intervene in a situation that you may be witnessing. So thank you for sharing that. Um, I'll move on to the fourth D of the five Ds, and this is delay. So this would be acting after the fact. Um, so if a situation is going on and you don't feel like it's like safe for you to intervene in that moment, you would like maybe the next day, like talk to somebody, report it, or like check in with that person and be like, Hey, like, is everything okay? Like, you know, just check in with them or to report the situation like after the fact when maybe it's a little bit more safe for everyone involved to do so. Um, and then I, I'll, I can just say the last D. Um, and then the last, the fifth D of the five Ds of bystander intervention is documentation. So this could be like recording the event, like taking out your phone and recording the event or um, like just like making notes or like taking note of like who the person was or like what they were wearing. And like, this can be really helpful if like you do choose to report the event that you have like documentation of exactly what happened. Um, and like we said before, bystander intervention can be applied to so many different things, not just sexual assault. Um, and one of the best examples that I can think of, of the, the documenting of an event would be in the, the too many instances of police brutality where people record um, the event happening to be able to report it and to be able to have that documentation of the event. Because we saw this in the case with George Floyd, that there was a literal like video evidence of what was going on. So it was almost indisputable. So that's another really important, like, I guess, way that you can intervene is taking a video or documenting the event um, so that you have that and it's like indisputable evidence. Yeah, and so like, you know, in thinking of bystander intervention, it's it's just good to, you know, acknowledge that as a community, you know, we have a responsibility to keep each other safe. And so, you know, bystander intervention is that's why it's so important, especially, you know, as college students, you know, we need to look out for each other. We need to make sure that we're all being safe and that, you know, even when sometimes we're in situations where we're in the position where we need somebody to come save us, you know, just think about, you know, how thankful that person is going to be. And so, you know, it, it's a lot of just like, you know, caring about, the people that are in our our communities and just making sure that none of us end up in any situation where we can potentially be harmed. I think you touched on a really important point. Um, it's like just, we just need to care about the people around us. Like we are really 
aiming to like, especially on college campuses and especially within Westchester, like our work, we're really aiming to cultivate this community of care and like looking out for the people that are around us. Um, and another like really important aspect of bystander intervention is the group mentality. So earlier we talked about like the power of the group and how that can negatively influence situations. But with bystander intervention, it can actually show the positive side of the power of the group, because if one person if one person acts, other people will see that and like kind of go in that group mentality and be like, OK, like I'm going to help too. like you're setting a really good example for those around you um, of just like caring about other people and like stepping in when needed or like just you know just like stepping in when needed and just like caring about the people around you we encourage you to intervene and check in regularly with those around you um if you see something say something um and we are actually offering some programming around bystander intervention coming in the fall it's called ram step up um and it's basically just covering bystander intervention, and how you can learn to become an active bystander. So, you know, um, just, you know, to understand that you're not alone in these situations, and there's a multitude of resources that um, are available so that we can all make sure that we're dealing with these experiences in the right way. So, so actually, um, Dana brought up this resource to me. It's called um, Psychology Today, and it's basically like a therapist finder. Um, I haven't used it yet, but maybe Dana can say a little bit more about, um, you know, how to navigate it. Yes, I love talking about this because I actually use this to find the therapist that I'm currently seeing. And I thought it was so, so helpful. Um, so if you literally just type into Google, like Psychology Today Therapist Finder, it'll be like the first link that you see. And you can go in there and put in a bunch of like, it's I equate it to like online shopping for a therapist because you can go in and put in all these different filters and it'll give you therapists that like meet your criteria. So this is anything from like the insurance that you use, or if you don't have insurance, you can choose a, a provider that uses a sliding scale. You can choose what type of therapy that they practice. You can choose specifically like what types of issues they engage with. Um, you can also choose like their age their like gender, you can choose like so many different things. So it'll literally just give you a list of all the providers in your area that like meet the criteria and what you're looking for, which I think is so important because um, it really helps you like find exactly what may work for you. Yeah, so I think, you know, that would be super beneficial for somebody, um, especially if you have a certain identity and you would really like your therapist to share that with you that identity. And so I think that's a great way of finding a therapist that is right for you. Um, there's also the Rape Abuse, Abuse and Incest National Network. And so this is a national hotline that connects you with the trained staff member from a sexual assault um, service provider in your area. And so the number is 800-656-4673. There's also a crisis text line that's available. Um, so you can just text START to the number 741741 and they'll connect you with a crisis counselor that you can just chat with like short term. I've texted this number before. Like it usually is really helpful. They'll try and just like work through like your crisis at this time um, with you. 
and it's really, it's free. It's usually like really quick, um, to get connected with somebody. And I think it's really helpful to be able to text somebody rather than call because, um, it's just easier depending on where you are. Like if you're out or something, you can't like be on the phone or, you know, there's, it's just support that's there for you. Like whenever you need it. And if you're local to Westchester, um, the Westchester Counseling Center is also here for you, and their phone number is 610-436-2301. And you can learn more about the online services they're offering right now due to COVID. But, um, you know, the Counseling Center is great. I would encourage everyone to go there if you need support, um, especially if you're, um, you know, local to Westchester and a student. Okay, and the last um, local to Westchester resource that we'll share today is the Westchester Crimes Victim Center. They have a sexual assault hotline that you can call if you've experienced sexual assault just to, you know, like talk about it um, and, you know, see your options and like what you want to do about that, um, whether that's reporting or just um, talking to somebody Um, And their sexual assault hotline phone number is 610-692-7273. And we just wanted to give a couple of special shout outs and thank yous to everyone who made this possible. Natalia, we wanted to thank you so much for being a part of a few episodes. Um, We also wanted to thank Jennifer Hirsch and Seamus Khan for writing Sexual Citizens and giving us a great jumping off point for these conversations that we've been having over the last couple of episodes. And I also wanted to thank Sasha so much for being my co-host. Um, and I also wanted to thank the Center for Women and Gender Equity for making this all possible. Oh, yes. Thanks to Dana for being the most amazing co-host ever. You're so insightful and I appreciate all the time that, you know, you've put into this podcast. And so, um, you know, don't forget about us. Follow us um, at the Center for Women and Gender Equity social media accounts. Um, It's CWGE on Instagram. And, um, you know, we push for inclusive and comprehensive sex education. And we try to use this information to make meaningful actions. So if you're interested in being just, you know, more aware and more connected with us and the center in general on campus, uh, don't forget to follow us and hear about our upcoming events. So thank you so much to everyone that's been listening.